You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Mark. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. Y'all need to help me out just a little bit today. Can you help me out? But I need you to believe God with me. All right. So we've been looking at your identity. It seems to me, uh, especially since the first of the year, I use this word and I don't use it lightly. It seems to me the Lord is obsessed with us knowing who he, who, what our identity is. It seems so very important to him for this season in the body of Christ. You need to know who you really are. Um, you remember they came to Jesus and he asked this question. He said, who do, who do men say that I am? And how do you know Peter had the answer because it was revealed to him? But then they also asked John the Baptist, who are you? And so we've talked about over this year, and again, the Lord's bringing it to us in a different way. You need to know, and I need to know who I really am. If you don't know who you are, if you don't know your identity, the world will shape you. The world will tell you who you are. In an era, in a time that really our our foundational beliefs are being attacked, Um, because they're trying the devil through media, through social media, through all these things is really trying to, uh, um, uh, shape what, what, what we're supposed to think, what we're supposed to say, but your identity comes from Christ and Christ alone. Your identity comes from the word of God and the word of God alone. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you supposed to be? And so we've been talking about your identity. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, by revelation, told Timothy that you are these three things. You're a soldier. You're an athlete. And you're a farmer. You don't get to pick which one of those you are. You don't get to pick, well, I'm more like a soldier. I'm more like an athlete. I'm more like a farmer in the realm of the Spirit. No, he said we've got to be all three things at once. You've got to be all three things at once. And so how many of you know you dress differently for all three of them? How many of you know uh, how an athlete, you wouldn't want to play basketball with your bibs on and your farm shoes with a hoe in your hand? In other words, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't go farming uh, in fatigues. Or, you know, I don't think you would anyway. I mean, so the truth of the matter is that in the, the, the Lord is trying to get us a picture in the realm of the Spirit. You are these three things. And so first of all, we've been talking about a soldier. Later we'll talk about being an athlete and a farmer. But first and foremost, you're a soldier. We, we learned these things. Number one, you are in a fight. I said you're at war. Whether you knew it or not, you're at war. You're in the army of God. The Bible said, the Apostle Paul said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. How many of you know you're fighting a good fight? Which is a good fight? It's a fight of faith. How many of you know you win? If we don't give in, we always win. That's what makes it a good fight. But it's still a fight. And then it talks about this. That it says, we have, the word of God tells us you have an enemy. How many of you know you have an enemy? Jesus said the enemy does what? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came to give us life. And so we have to understand anything that steals, anything that tries to kill, anything that tries to destroy is from your enemy. It's from your adversary, the devil. And what do we do with those things? Well, we have to resist them. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil. So there's a part you and I have to play. But the good news is this. Jesus 
Jesus already destroyed the devil. Colossians 2.15 says, having spoiled him, right? Remember, he's spoiled, having triumphed over him in it. What? His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus triumphed over the works of the devil. 1 John 3 and 8 said that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and that has been done. The works of the devil have been destroyed. Well, why do we still have to fight? Well, because we live on this earth, and even Jesus identified the enemy as the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says that Satan is the god of this world. You have an enemy. To ignore that you have an enemy is to ignore it at your own peril. He seeks whom he may devour. You've got to decide, and I've got to decide, and really nobody can decide for you whether the enemy is going to kill, kill, steal, or destroy in your life. You have to resist him steadfast in the faith. But the good news is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, it says that you have weapons that win. I said you have weapons that win, but you got to use your weapons. I can't always use them for you. Your neighbor can't use them for you. Your spouse can't even always use them for you. You've got to learn to fight with your weapons. They're mighty through God. And then we saw in Ephesians chapter 6, we gave you the list of the armor of God. How many of you, you, I know in the natural you're fully dressed, but are you fully dressed in the realm of the Spirit? Do you have the armor of God on your life? I know sometimes people, you know, they wake up every morning and they put on the armor of God. And if you've got to do that to remind yourself, but I recommend you never take it off. But you've got to know the armor in order to work with it. And the Bible says this about the devil. So we're we're just reviewing. Understand this, that you, the Bible says you can't be ignorant of the devil's devices. Now, I've heard people say this, and I understand what they're trying to say. They're just mad at the devil. Have you ever just been mad at the devil? You ever get tired of it? But how do you know just being tired of it doesn't make it go away? Because I can personally tell you right now, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. But you know what? Me being tired of it doesn't make it go away. Somebody being tired of everything, it just doesn't make it go away. You have to use your authority. You have to. You have to use your authority. And you've got to do it. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. I've heard people say this, well, the devil's just stupid. You know, they get mad and they say, oh, the devil's just stupid. He's a lot of things. He's a defeated foe. He's fallen from heaven. But stupid's not one of them. If he's kind of, listen, y'all remember those angels lived up in heaven? For millennia and millennia and millennia, if he is deceptive enough to get a third of them to fight against the Almighty, he's not stupid. If he was able to get the current gods of this world, Adam and Eve, if he was able to deceive someone who was created perfect, who fellowship with God every day in perfect harmony and unity, he is not stupid. And for you and I to think that we couldn't be deceived or we couldn't fall into one of his traps, that makes us ignorant. I'm not giving respect to him. I'm not giving honor to him. But the Bible says to know your enemy. And he's deceptive and he's good at it. And we are not going to be deceived. Come on, no deception. I will not be deceived. 
Amen. I'm, I'm going to, the Bible says that we've been raised together with Christ and we're seated in heavenly places. Far above every principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that's given a name. And from that place, we will rule and reign in our lives as kings on this earth. But you and I are going to have to understand that we're at war. We have to understand our enemy, and we have to understand we have weapons. But your weapons do you no good if you don't use them. And you can't use them unless you know them. Remember the main weapon, the offensive weapon? Jesus said when the devil came against him, he said, it is written. Come on, let's practice. Say, it is written. But you can't say it is written if you don't know what is written. So you have to know what is written. And you can't say, Pastor Mark said it was written. Creflo said it was written. I thought I heard Joyce say it was written. See, you got to know that it was written for you. And you've got to speak, it is written. Try it one more time. It is written. And so get in there and study the word of God and get in there and get a hold of it. Amen. And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 again. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Are you ready to be a soldier? Last week, you know, uh, in our nation, we honor our military just for fun, in case you weren't here last week. But I do want to know, how many of you have ever been in the military, any branch? Wave, wave, your, wave, wave at me. Amen. Uh, so you all went through some kind of basic training? Did you all enjoy that? Everybody remember that? I, I personally didn't. Um, I don't know, even when I was young. But I know today there's no way I could go. I don't, no way. Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard, right? It, it's, it's meant to be hard, right? And so we're going to look at some things as a soldier. And, though you know, even if you've never been in the military, you know about the military. You've either got family members and you've heard about basic training or, you know, or you've watched a movie about basic training, you know. Um, you know, uh, seen a little Top Gun. I understand Tom's going to do another one. Um, yeah, whatever. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I, heard, I heard squeals. I don't, I don't know. And so, but, but you've seen it. And so we have some natural understanding. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because that's how the Lord teaches. He looks at something naturally so we can get it. So I want you to think about basic training. I want you to think about being a soldier. Because today what I want to talk to you about are the attributes or the attitude of a soldier. And not just any soldier. I want We're, we're in the army of God now. And so even though... We understand soldiering naturally. I want you to take that over into the realm of the Spirit and get what the Holy Ghost is trying to tell you and I. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. So we're going to look at four things today that I see in this scripture that gives us the attitude or gives us the attributes of a soldier. Number one, we have to learn to endure hardness. When you think of a soldier, they endure hardness. They, they train in hard situations. They're ready for hard things when they happen. They are prepared for war whether they ever go or not. Number two, they are, 
he said, you're a good soldier. So how many of you that were in the were you were good soldiers? I trust you all were. But those of you who are good soldiers in the room, were you around any poor soldiers? Were you around any mediocre soldiers? How many of you know at war, the person you have, would have on the right and the left, the left of you, you would prefer they be good soldiers just like you? Because how many of you know when you're at a war, those that are around you are also important? And so we all need to be good soldiers. Number three, that you don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. And number four is that we please our enlisting officer. Or we learn how to please God. So I want to just look at these four things real quick. Uh, the first one, endure hardness. One of my favorite authors, Rick Renner, he, he, he studies the natural lang- the, the original language, and he gives this word. Now, this word where it says endure hardness is a huge word, um, and it's sun keiko pathio. And I don't know if I've ever pronounced that right, and, um, but we can put this in three parts, sun, keiko, and patio. And so it says this, and he wrote this out, join us as a partner with the rest in with the rest of us, that's the sun, and face this vile, horrible, ugly circumstance, that's the keikos, that is all around you. And if you must undergo a little suffering, patio, to do the job, then brace yourself and go for it. Join us as a partner, join in the partner with the rest of us and face this vile, horrible, ugly circumstance that is all around you. And if you must undergo a little suffering to do the job, then brace yourself and go for it. Amen. And so what does it mean to endure hardness? Well, the Bible talks in different places, and we're going to look at these. We're going to look at them. Let's just turn to them. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 22. These are some hard things that the Word of God says that you and I might have to endure. Matthew 10, 22. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. Everybody say, I will endure to the end. So they may hate you because of his name. They may hate you. They may persecute you. But you and I are going to need to endure. What is endure? Endurance to me is lasting longer than everybody else. Endurance to me is lasting longer than everybody else. And you can't do that on your own. We have to endure, and the Spirit of God gives us the strength. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I can do all things. I can endure all things. I can make it to the end. Amen. I always win. Amen. You always win. But we're going to have to endure. The second one is found in James chapter 1. Verse number 12. James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when, the, when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So we, we, we're going to have to endure temptation. How many of you know the devil is never going to give up in tempting you? He's going, to tempt, he's going to tempt you with sin. He's going to tempt you with all kinds of things. And, and the Bible says, blessed are you when you endure it. And endurance here doesn't mean I put up with it. Endurance to me means that I, when it comes, I come against it. I endure. In other words, um, I'm going to be the last one standing. 
When he comes at me, I'm going to have the last word. Remember I tell you all the time, never ever let the devil or circumstances have the last word. What the devil wants is he wants you... What, what thrills him most is when he just assails you and assails you and you throw your hands up in the air and say, I give up. You throw your hands up and say, I can't take it anymore. That's like saying, sick him to a dog. And so you've got to make up your mind that you're going to endure, that you're going to last a long time, that you're going to last till the end. Amen. The devil would love for you to give in and give up. The, the devil would love for you to throw up your hands and say, I quit. The devil would love for you, like they do in the octagon, he would love for you to tap out. But you ain't tapping out. You don't have a quit. You know the Bible doesn't teach you how to quit, especially in the epistles. First imaginations, one, three, when it's gone on for a long time, just give up and quit. Amen. We're not going to quit. Say, I'm not going to quit. What are you going to do? You're going to endure. You're going to endure. Not with your own strength. Because see, you can't do this in your own strength. You can only do this in the strength of God. Amen. It's not by my might. It's not by my power. But it's by the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. So we're going to have to endure when temptation comes. And some of you may feel overwhelmed to the point where it's this, this attack that's going on between your ears. A lot of times people don't see your private mess you're going through because you've learned to put on a, a, you know, a good face and you fake it till you make it, whatever. But I'm telling you, when the enemy comes and he is wanting to wear you out, you've got to stand. And having done all to stand, you're going to keep on standing. The Word of God never fails. I'm going to endure. I'm, that's a good soul has to endure hardness, has to endure hardness. Number three, well, I just thought we were supposed to believe God and everything was supposed to be good all the time. Oh, it is good all the time. But God didn't promise you that the enemy is suddenly going to go away. You have to resist. You have to fight against. And there are seasons in your life, there, there are seasons of where the battle seems stronger or longer. But it doesn't matter. The season will change if you stand and fight your ground. Hold your ground. Amen? Amen. Come on. I said amen. amen. James chapter 5, verse 11. <clears throat> James chapter 5, verse 11. Let's look at that. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, oh my, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and the tender mercies. You know, we've had people tell us all the time, I feel just like Job. And they get a little preachy, get the little sing-songy, I feel just like Job. Job, Job, Job. Job doesn't have nothing on me. Praise his holy name. Um, but a lot of people misunderstand Job, don't they? Most scholars believe that happened within a nine-month period. Even though it looked, it was horrible. I mean, no, we can't discuss, it was horrible. But what, what does the Bible say here? Behold, we count them happy which endure. In other words, what was the devil trying to do? He was trying to get Job to curse God. His wife was inspired by the enemy to tell Job, you should just curse him and die. You should just curse him and give up. 
But he wouldn't. He didn't. And, you know, if people ever tell you they're going to be, they're, you know, your family and friends. It's so strange. It is, I, I tell this all the time, but it's the honest truth. I do not understand how people have not heard of Jesus, but they've all heard of Job and Paul's thorn in the flesh. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Never seen a Bible, but they know about Job. I, I'm not being, trying to be funny. I'm just, it's just strange to me. So the devil lives off of those two things. If he can get people to believe that God is against them, that God causes this stuff. Because in both cases, because what do people, you know, Paul saw in the flesh, what do most people believe? God caused that. God did that to see how much, see how much Paul could take. But that's not, the, that's not the truth. The word God said to him what? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. What's that grace? It's standing grace. What's that standing grace for? To resist the devil who's the defeated foe. And Job didn't even have a covenant. Job didn't even have a covenant. God is such a good God. This man didn't even have a covenant. And God did what? He restored Job. Double for his trouble. So if anyone ever tells you, one of your family at Thanksgiving or wherever at a birthday party, they say, I feel just like Job, you ought to grab them by the hand and run them around the room because double is on the way. If they really believe they are just like Job, double is on the way. And it's not that far away. And it's not that far away. Double for your trouble. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. But what is the point here? You have to endure hardness. The devil during hardness is trying to get you to quit, to give up, to say this doesn't work. Now don't raise your hand because I know you've been tempted. We've all been tempted. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've done this. But you have to understand, it is one of the devil's main tactics. Nothing gives him a bigger thrill for you to say, I can't do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to quit serving God, I'm not going to usher anymore until you change it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Oh, Lord, I don't want to. Okay, some of you heard this over and over again, but here you go. It fits. You know, um, I, um, I had a family situation, and I'd just gotten out of Bible school, and I was a traveling itinerant minister, and everywhere I go, was going, I mean, we were having meetings. And I'm not exaggerating, literally leave the building, look like a bomb had went off. People were lying out everywhere, power of God everywhere. It was an amazing, very fun time of my life. And yet I had a family situation where things were not, not good. And so I prayed, and I believed God, because I know how to believe God. Do you all know how to believe God? So I prayed and believed God. And yet nothing changed. As a matter of fact, it got really bad. Uh, it, it was really stressful. It was really bad, and I didn't know what to do about it. I, just, I prayed, and I believed God, and I did everything I knew to do. And so I thought I, would try, I was really still young in the Lord. Just because you're having big meetings and God's doing all kinds of things doesn't mean you, you know everything. It just means you're anointed. And I le later learned that with the sternness of God. Anyway, so, um, so I was still, that's the time I was uh, the office manager of the little church I went to in Paris. In other words, I was the pastor's secretary. It was just me and him, but office manager sounds so much better. And so, um, so I went into work one day and I had decided that God was too slow. 
I had decided that I prayed, I believed God, I confessed, and I hadn't seen any change. And so I was getting a little irritated because this stuff's supposed to work. So I decided that I was going to take, I don't, know, I don't know if I purposely decided, but I was going to take a different tactic. And so I decided, I remember it, it's what we do around here. Uh, Wednesday was noon prayer. And so at noon prayer, um, I was paid to pray. And so we'd have about 10 people come pray. And so the pastor came in and I didn't get up to go. And that's normally I followed him into the sanctuary. But today he said, come on. I'm like, I have too much work to do today. I'm going to be doing my work. And he's not me because I just said, get your behind up and follow me. Um, if any of mine tried to do that, I'd be like, I don't care what you think you're doing. You're going to pray. But he didn't. He was real gentle and kind and uh, sweet. And so um, anyway, so, um, so I sat there. And then the Holy Ghost. Aren't you grateful for the Spirit of God? Get you out of your stupidity. Some of you, I'm about to help you get out of your stupidity right now. Amen. You all right? Everybody ready? Because if you're trying a different tactic, it's just, anyway, I'll tell you about me. I know it's nobody in the room. I know I'm probably just talking to myself again. It's all right. And so, uh, so I sat there and the Holy Ghost said, what would you be doing if everything was okay? I know some of you heard this before, but the Lord told me to do it. So here we go. He asked me, I don't mean I heard a voice on the inside. What would you be doing if everything was okay? And this was my smart aleck response. Everything's not okay. Trying a different tactic. Going to argue with him or something. A little strong arm. A little strong arm God. Because he's got all this power and I need him to use it. It's not okay. He often repeats. Have you ever found that out? What would you be doing if everything was okay? It's not okay. I think the third go round, and now I know he's getting a little irritated with me. So basically he, he ordered me to the sanctuary. So I went. And I went. And it's a small sanctuary, maybe just this right here. So what I did, though, because I'm an employee and a minister, and normally I'm up in the middle of everything in case he calls on me or something. But this day, I went to the back seat in the sanctuary, and I sat. Have you ever seen a, a teenage boy mad after you corrected him? I sat there, and I leaned way back in the chair, put my feet out, my arms folded. I'm here. I probably did some shalalalas and some huli hulis and called it prayer. Aren't you grateful for God's mercy? Listen to me. He'll even work you into it when you don't deserve to be worked into it. Seriously. Because I've had it. What am I talking about? Endure hardness. A lot of this stuff has to be worked out in basic training before you get to the battlefield. The Lord was in the process of teaching me something that I've had to use over and over again in 25 years of pastoring. And so, <laughs> suddenly, it turned into a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. And uh, the pastor's got, daughter got up, and we was doing the old Pentecostal, some of you don't know about this, look what the Lord has done. 
I mean, we was having church. They were having church. They was ha- and I was in the back with my arms folded, my shalalalas, and my feet out. And then suddenly, only as she could do, Julie is her name. She yells at me. She's like, Mark, get up here. And well, so now I'm, 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 what do I, I'm. So then I get up there, and the anointing is strong, and I take the microphone. And some of you don't know him, but I put on my best Ray Jean Wilson. And if you've ever seen him sing with Brother Hagen, he, he can sing, look, there's nobody that can sing, look what the Lord has done better than Ray Jean. And so I start singing it. Well, then suddenly, I got in the presence of God. And then I really started singing it. And suddenly the anointing fell on me. And I remember uh, before it was popular, I dropped the mic. I just kind of dropped the mic. And I ran around the room. And the Holy Ghost came on me and I slid into home plate. And then I went back to my office and I got a call. And everything had changed in a moment. In a moment. All God needed me to do was rejoice. Yes, I know. Hallelujah. All he needed me to do was rejoice. Hallelujah. Because you got to count it over. Because you got to count it done. You got to count the attack over. You got to count it done. And you got to rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. You got to know that there'll be a performance of what the Lord told you. Hallelujah. You got to count it done. You got to count it finished. You got to count the attack over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory. Amen. Come on, somebody shout, look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. You got to count it done. You got to count it finished. You got to be ready to endure. Amen. Look at the endurance of Job. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody say double for my trouble. First Peter chapter 2, <laughs> verses 19 and 20. We'll look at the new living, if you could put that up for me. We'll look at First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, new living. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Verse 20. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you, are, are, if, you, if you did the wrong. But if you suffer for doing good, endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. In other words, if you have to suffer because you did something wrong, God's not pleased with that. But if you're suffering because you, were, you did everything right and you were unjustly accused or you uh, were unjustly, uh, you know, what, being punished for something or you were unjustly talked about, then God is pleased with that if you patiently endure. In other words, God's going to deliver you out of it, but you being patient, you being kind, you still flowing in the fruit of the Spirit while this is all going on, then God is well pleased with you. So the first thing is you got to be, uh, you got to endure you got to endure, you got to endure hardness like a good soldier. Everybody say, I will endure hardness 
Amen. So, so you see, in our society right now, especially sometimes in our circle and how you're taught the word, how I many you know God delivers you out of all your trouble? But he didn't promise you that sometimes it wasn't going to be hard. He didn't promise you that the enemy wasn't going to come. As a matter of fact, he promised you that he was coming. And it, when hardness comes, well, you know, like today, people, like, we want them to do something or there's something going on in society. And the first question people ask, well, is it easy? Well, everything with God is good, but it's, all, it's not always easy. Some things are hard on your flesh, but if you'll endure it, or you'll endure when the enemy attacks you and not give in, give up, you're going to win every time. So a good soldier. What in the world is a good soldier? Well, in the natural, in the military, you could say a good soldier is somebody who knows how to use their weapons. A, a good soldier is this, a good soldier is that. But really, I came up with three I want to talk about, because it, this is true to me in the natural, but it really weighs over into the realm of the spirit. I think a good soldier is someone, number one, and this is my big number one, a good soldier is someone who understands authority. When I'm at war, I don't want a soldier next to me always questioning authority. Because in the middle of a battle, I need someone to know their place. I need someone to know what they're called to do. You know, one of the things Jesus was most impressed about was he was impressed with a centurion. Because he said this, I've got somebody sick at home, but you don't have to come to my house. You don't have to come under my roof. Because I'm a man under authority, just like you are. And I say a word, and this one goes. And, 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 and I tell him to go, and he goes. And I tell this one to come, and he comes. I know that when you speak a word, this is going to happen. So Jesus, just say it. Jesus, just say it, because you're a man under authority. He didn't necessarily know whose authority he was under. He just knew that Jesus was operating with delegated authority. And so in the same way, a really good soldier is one who knows authority. And in the realm of the Spirit, you've got to be, in order to, to take your authority, you've got to be under authority. James 4 and 7 says, submit yourself therefore unto God. You will not be successful, I will not be successful in submitting to authority if I do not, uh, I won't be successful in resisting the devil if I'm not submitted to authority. Amen. Oh, my Lord, I don't want to tell that one. Um, so, you know, I, I, anyway, I was just having a lot of trouble in my life one time. I just got out of Bible school. I think I told you this one before, but, but I just didn't want to do it. And you know what? I tell a lot of stories on my life of the, you know, maybe the first five years of pastoring and the years that I was an itinerant and stuff because I was just really learning some things. You know, it's kind of like when you get out of Bible school or when you first get out of college, you think you know everything. And it takes you a few years to understand you didn't know nothing. I know that's not good English, but it's truth. And so I was in that place. And I remember the Lord spoke to me and told me he wanted to be the youth pastor. I don't want to be no youth pastor. And so I told you this story. But when I decided to disobey and get out of God's will by not doing what he wanted me to do, instead of being a good soldier and saying, yes, sir. I didn't have it figured out. I couldn't understand why he wanted me to do it. So instead of saying, yes, sir, I decided that I was, going, I was smarter than he was. It didn't seem to line up with the other things he told me. But um, so I just, I just, there was just a short season. It was really short, but it was really intense. I got out of the will of God. And so when the devil would come and try to bring all this garbage on me, I just, I couldn't resist. And, it, and don't tell me it takes forever to fix that. It took me a few seconds. When, when the Lord finally, he began to teach me, he's so good. 
when you need something to teach you. He set me down at my mom and dad's dining room table where we, me and him met on a regular basis, and he revealed James 4, 7 to me. He revealed it. He showed me how it works. And a lot of my teaching all over the world when I teach on the authority of the believer comes from this revelation that I got at my mom and dad's dining room in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere in a cornfield in Illinois when nobody knew my name or nobody glad I came. But I, I, had to get an, I had to get a revelation that first you submit to God, then you resist. If you're having trouble resisting, you need to check to make sure you're submitted. Because that's the mark of a great soldier. I want the person next to me, on the right of me, on the left of me, when I'm at war, I want them to understand authority. Number two, what I, what I believe is a good soldier is someone who obeys. Someone who is quick to obey. Obedience is everything. You look at 1 Samuel 15, uh, verse 22. What did the Lord say? He said, uh, you know, remember what happened? That king was, he was trying to sacrifice something. He got out of his lane. He got out of his office. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, he, he said this, obedience is better than, I know you tried to sacrifice. You think you're doing something big, but that wasn't yours to do. I'd rather you obey me. I'd rather you stay in your lane. I'd rather you do what I've asked you to do. You have a kingly anointing. You don't have a priest's anointing. You don't have a prophet's anointing. Stay out of that lane. I, even though it's a right thing and it's a thing that I love, it wasn't yours to do. And so I prefer you to obey me than try to sacrifice something to me. And there's a whole lot of teaching I could do on that. But to be a good soldier, you got to be obedient. The third thing that I find a good soldier is this. I find not only, number one, knowing authority, number two, obedience. I think a soldier, when I think soldier, I think discipline. When I think of a soldier, when I think of someone going through basic, I think of someone who has learned how to discipline their body and receive discipline. I, I think it, in, to be in the body of Christ, to be a good soldier, we have to be disciplined, all right? The third thing it said here, that, that we're not entangled, we're not entangled in the affairs of this life. Now, number one, we know that we live here. We know that we're in the world, we're just not of the world. My mamma used to say, she used to, don't anybody call me this, she called me Marky. It's okay, but I remember this, it rings. She said, Marky, she said, uh, the Bible says you need to come out from among them and be ye separate. I don't know how many times Mamaw told me that. I don't know what she thought I was getting into, but she was always telling me to come out from among them. And she never said be, she always used King James, be ye separate. And so she was talking about separating, and then she would tell me how she was sanctified laughing. And so uh, I don't have time to talk about it, but my, my grandma really knew the, the things of God. But I'm telling you, in order to be a good soldier, you and I, we can't be entangled. Let me read you this. This is what the word entangle means. It's impleco, and it means to weave in. This is to intertwine or be interconnected closely by wrapping or twisting together. So we're not... Uh, we live in this world, uh, but we're not, we're, not, we're not intertwined with it. In other words, when I look at a believer, when I look at a soldier, um, he can't be entangled. How many know, why can't he be entangled? Because he's at war. His mind, his or her mind have to be focused on what's going on. Somebody's life could depend on it. A nation's life could depend on it. I can't be intertwined in, in the affairs of my life. In other words, I can't be uh, uh, um, just all... Um, 
you know, mixed in with the world. The Bible says this in James. God said, if you're a friend of the world, you're not a friend of mine. That's just plain and simple, right? In other words, we can't be entangled. We can't walk like, talk like, act like the world. We've got to be different. And so, you know, it's important that we're not entangled. The last thing I want to talk about real quick is the fourth thing is we have to be pleasing to him. How many of you want to please the Lord? How many of you believe you currently are pleasing the Lord? Good. I like the scripture. Proverbs 16, 7. Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord. Everybody say, I please the Lord. He makes, this is a big scripture. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I remember when the Lord spoke to me and said, if you'll obey me, I'll perfect everything that concerns you. When your ways please him, he'll even make your enemies be at peace with you. There was a man named Enoch. Anybody remember Enoch? What was Enoch famous for? Anybody remember Enoch? What was he famous for? He was, he was transported. He was translated. He was no more. I mean, he didn't taste natural death yet. He's never tasted natural death yet. Elijah never tasted natural death yet. So I'm looking for the two fellows to come back and be those witnesses. And so, because they, they got to go the way the rest of us went. They're just, how cool is that? That's so cool. But what, what, what was Enoch famous for? Yes, that he was translated. Yes, that he was, but he was, what was he famous for? There's not much said about him. He walked with God. Can you walk with God? When I think about walking with God, I just think about being close with God. But just walking close to him, it pleases him. It pleases him. Then I was looking at this. I took some scriptures and I found seven things that you and I can do to please the Lord. Let me give you these before we go. Number one, what pleases the Lord is faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews eleven six. So you can, everybody walking by faith. Number two, being spiritually minded. Romans 8, 6 through 8. The Bible says at being carnally minded is an enemy of God. So being spiritually minded is being pleasing to God. Number three, fearing the Lord. Psalms 147, verse 11. Fearing God. Everybody in the room, we, if, when you reverence God, when you fear him, it pleases him. Hebrews 13, 21 talks about doing God's will and doing works unto the Lord that please him. The fifth one is found in Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, and it talks about being a giver, being a giver, being someone who gives of finances, but a giver of their gifts and talents that pleases the Lord. Number six, being obedient. We found that again in 1 Samuel 15, 22, being obedient. His obedience, our obedience to the Lord pleases him. And then this is my favorite one of all. Matthew 17, verse 5. God the Father said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. You think, well, that's great for Jesus. But who are you? 
Who are you? Are you a son and daughter of God? <coughs> are you a son and daughter of God? Everybody say, I'm his beloved son. I'm, say it this way so everybody can say, I'm his beloved child. And what does that make him? Well pleased. Just when you said, I do, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was raised from the dead. I receive forgiveness for my sin, my guilt, my shame. The blood of Jesus cleanses me. I receive you, Jesus. Then you became a child of God. And what had happened? God is now pleased with you. God is pleased. You, you, all you did was receive Jesus, and I believe that pleases God. But there's other things you can do to stay pleasing to the Lord. But I think that's the most important one. Knowing that God is pleased with you because you believe in his son. You believe in Jesus. And so I want to bring you to that point with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Hallelujah. We hope you were inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you and we want you to know him so you too can make him known.